Uh, we have been journeying through the book of Acts, and um, it's been quite a journey, if you think about it. Even just in a nutshell, to think of what we've seen, how God has worked in and through the church. And there's no reason we can't expect God, who did that in the early church, to continue doing that, even here, even now, with such things as, as hope and joy and peace, not only here, but throughout the world. When we look at the book of Acts, we see God doing amazing powerful things. There's healings. There's courage that, that these early Christians have. We've seen unity and, and passion and church growth. And, and today, we're going to take a little closer look at who makes this possible. Not what makes this possible, but who makes this possible. When I was a, a a teenager, and when some of us were getting our cars and our driver's license, which was kind of a big deal back in those days, and occasionally somebody, uh, one of my friends, although usually not one of my friends, somebody else, would get a really nice car, a fast car, and if they were kind, they would pull that fast car. I never had this experience, but I got to watch from a distance. They would pull this fast car into the student parking lot at school, and people would kind of go over, and they'd say, can I see it? And the owner of the car knew what that meant. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about the shape of the car or the interior or the smell. No, no, no. When you said, can I see it, he, it meant you needed to pop the hood. You need to pop open the hood, and everybody would just kind of gather around. No matter, it didn't make any difference that nobody knew anything about engines. It, but you would just gather around and pretend like you knew something. And you would say, wow. You see, today, we're going to pop the hood a little. And we're going to gather around, and I think we do know what we're looking for. And we're going to say, wow. God is doing something. So I'm gonna, I wanna point you to this afternoon, Acts chapter 19. We're gonna pop the hood on this passage. Acts chapter 19, and I invite you to follow along. It will be behind me. Uh, from verse 1, we read While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extreme, extraordinary miracles through Paul. 
so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some of the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Scylla, the Jewish priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 15,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After this, all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia, after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. All right, so what we have here is Paul is on yet another journey. Uh, while Apollos was staying in Corinth, Paul has made his way to Ephesus through the interior, or other translations will say, in the upper country. It just means that Paul took the direct route, which happened to be, in this case, through some mountainous terrain, a very difficult territory. But when you want to get there fast, what do you do? You take the direct route, even if it is the more difficult route. There's a whole sermon in that, but that's not for today. Take the direct route even if it's more difficult when it's important. Upon his arrival in Ephesus, Paul was almost immediately faced with a very unusual situation. There were about a dozen disciples who had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Even worse, they had not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Paul discovered that they had received John's baptism which was a baptism of repentance, wasn't quite the same thing as being baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion about this, and biblical scholars and commentators really have a wide variety of opinions. How could they have listened to the preaching of John and not known the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. There's a lot of debate and discussion, but we're not going to do that this afternoon. We're not going to chase the rabbit because, because the important thing here is that the disciples were missing out on the Holy Spirit. So Paul tells them what they're missing, and in an instant, they wholeheartedly agree to being rebaptized. Paul places his hands on them, and they immediately received the Holy Spirit. Instantly, they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. These were the obvious signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, the, the, the whole story here should cause us to pause a moment and think about the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Because it does seem 
that it's possible to not know the Holy Spirit. It has been said that the Holy Spirit is the most overlooked member of the Trinity, the Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that the, why is that the case? In our theology group a couple weeks ago, we, we spent an entire evening talking about this. The Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity. He is a, a, a person of God. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Yet, do we think of him as such? The early church worked over a couple of hundred years to establish an important church dogma that says this, the Holy Spirit is God. In the same way that God is God the Father and God is God the Son, the Holy Spirit is also God. But who is the Holy Spirit? Comes back to that question. And why is the Holy Spirit the most overlooked member of the Trinity? These are important discussions, important questions, because we can be like those disciples that Paul encountered and miss out on the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It happens in Christian lives. It happens when people try to be good Christians on their own, in their own way, in their own strength. You know what I'm talking about. It's when we try with every ounce of energy that we have to be the best possible Christian we can be. We've tried to listen to every Christian sermon we've ever seen or watched on YouTube or seen on Instagram. I don't know, do they have sermons on Instagram? Probably. It's when we try to do it on our own. All the people we've ever known, our parents, our pastors, we want to follow Jesus. It means that we always tell the truth, that we never falter in faith. We pray more and more and more. We do more. We believe more. We give more. But here's the problem with that approach. You will never do it. You will never succeed. You were never meant to live your Christian life by yourself. In fact, there is no such thing as an individual Christian. Christians are always in community, and a Christian always has the Holy Spirit. You see, you need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. To try and live your life any other way is just silly, really. One, it's something easy to do, though. One pastor, he paints an analogy. He uses a story to illustrate. He says, imagine walking into an appliance store. You are looking for a refrigerator. You've been, you've been ready. You've needed a new refrigerator. So you go into the appliance store and you begin to look at all the refrigerators in the store. And, you know, most of them are, are pretty much the same if you've ever been into a refrigerator store. And so you, you begin to, to open them up, but then you find this one. Well, this one is special because this one, if, for one thing, it, it's bigger. So you put more in it. Yeah, but more, it, it does everything. I mean, it makes ice cubes. It, it pours water. In fact, it, it makes ice cream. It, I mean, it's a smart refrigerator. It communicates with your phone and puts your family's photos. It rotates them on screensavers. It puts your appointments. It calls you when you're late for breakfast. I mean, this refrigerator does absolutely everything. It's got compartments for meat and for vegetables and for ice cream, just for ice cream. 
I mean, this, this refrigerator is the Cadillac of refrigerators. It costs more, of course, but you got to have it. You're so excited. You spend the money and you bring that refrigerator home that night. You're so excited. You go out to the grocery store and you buy food because it's a big refrigerator. Then you fill it up with vegetables, although mostly ice cream. You put ice cream in it, maybe a little meat in there too. And you fill that up and you're so excited until the next morning. When you come down into your kitchen and, and you see there's ice cream dripping out the front of your refrigerator. Oh, and then you open it up and the vegetables that you brought, you know, that, that one piece of broccoli that you bought, it's starting to turn brown and, and the meat is warm and it's, it smells bad. So you immediately call the store and you say, I've got a problem. I just bought this really fancy refrigerator and it doesn't work. He says, well, open up the refrigerator and tell me if you see the light, if it comes on. So you open up the refrigerator. Sure enough, there's no light. He says, well, put your ear next to the refrigerator and see if you can just hear a little hum. So you put your ear next to the refrigerator. There's nothing. There's nothing. He says, pull out the refrigerator from the wall and see if there's this black tail on it. <laughs> With two little prongs at the end. Do you see those prongs? And you pull it out and sure enough, they're the prongs. They're there. He says, are the prongs plugged into the wall? And you say, no. I thought for all the money I paid for this refrigerator, it ought to plug itself in. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Who would ever do that? Who would ever have the nicest piece of, uh, of equipment in the store and just forget to plug it in? If we're honest, we'll admit that sometimes we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We have the luxury, the Cadillac, the, the helper, the one who advocates the strength, the counselor, and we forget to go to him. You see, it happens. It's a wonder. It's no wonder why we feel burnt out and tired and overburdened. So who is the Holy Spirit? And how does he help us? It's no surprise that the one who speaks the most about the Holy Spirit in the Bible is Jesus. Jesus actually talks more about the Holy Spirit than any other author, any other book of the Bible. Jesus talks about the Spirit the most. And there's a word that he, use, he uses. It's the word paraclete. And a quick little lesson in Greek is it's two words, actually, para, and it means to come alongside. A para is someone who comes alongside, and the other part of the word is the kletos, to call. And so it means one who is called to come alongside. In fact, this Greek word paraclete uh, was a word that they used in the Greek military, and they would describe their fighting formation where the soldiers would go out in pairs, and they would have... They would, they would use this word paraclete, one who's called alongside it, and they would fight together. It was actually a unique fighting strength among the Greek armies, but they would fight in pairs, and one, one of the soldiers would have a big, a big shield, and he would protect, and it was a huge shield. The other soldier would stand in the safety of that shield and use the sword and would fight offensively. So you got defense and offense, and the, the team, they were, they were paracletes. They were, they were fighting partners, and they were... They were better together. And this is the term that Jesus uses to describe the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? Jesus taught more about the paraclete than anyone else. In John 14, 
Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In John 14, 26, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. In John 15, when the Advocate comes, Jesus says, Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In John 16, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the world, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And then John 16, verse 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. This is the paraclete. The NIV says advocate, but many translations, many versions of the Bible translate it a little differently. The King James Version says comforter. The English Standard Version says counselor. The New American Standard Version says intercessor. The Phillips translation interprets the same name as someone who stands beside you. The translations may vary, but the message is the same, and this is the message. It means that with the Holy Spirit, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with you, a person. Actually, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in personal pronouns. The Holy Spirit is a person. He doesn't want us to think of the Holy Spirit as something, some nebulous force, some ghost. Uh, although we say holy ghost, but he's a person. The Holy Spirit is not the unattainable. He's not the mystic. The Holy Spirit is a person who is here to help. He is God's presence. And like a person... The Spirit has intellect, has emotions, has will. The Spirit speaks to, look at all the things the Spirit does. The Spirit speaks to the churches in Revelation 2.7. The Spirit intercedes for the believer. The Spirit appoints church leadership. The Spirit searches all things, knows the mind of God, and teaches us. The Holy Spirit teaches us what the gospel really is, the meaning of the gospel. The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts and gives life to those who believe. He cries out from within our hearts those times when we don't know what to say or when what we say isn't right. The Holy Spirit is there crying out from within us. The Holy Spirit leads us in the ways of God. He helps us in our weaknesses. He strengthens believers. It's quite an amazing list, actually, and this is just getting started. You see, we're not going to do this all afternoon. Maybe we could. But here in this passage, I want to point out to you that we see two very important ways that the Holy Spirit strengthens Paul's ministry so that he can do the work God calls him to do. The first thing that we see is that God provides staying power. The first thing we see is that God provides the strength for what was 
a lengthy teaching assignment. Acts, the book of Acts tells us that as a result of Paul's proclamation of the kingdom, all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now that is quite an accomplishment in a short time of teaching uh, in the synagogue and, and two years of these daily meetings in the lecture hall. Historical research tells us how this happened. So Paul probably had the leftover time that was given in the lecture hall. So that would probably be between the hours of 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. They were a little bit like in an Italian culture where they just sort of shut down after, after lunch. But they, they actually were longer because they would shut down from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So what that meant is the culture had a lot of leisure time to just go around and listen to philosophies. And so Paul was, was given the opportunity to use that time because no one else was working in the lecture hall. And so every day he would gather and he would, he would share and he would teach the good news of, of Jesus. Now think about that. A few hours every day for, for two years produced a movement that reached the entire province of Asia Minor. Now you have to know, with that kind of teaching assignment, Paul had to face discouragement. I don't know if you've ever been a teacher. Uh, I know there are some teachers here. And when I say the word discouragement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I suspect it's the same for parents who try to teach their kids. And maybe if you're a student who's being taught something, then you understand that too. So I think that pretty much includes everybody. Everybody understands the challenges of being a teacher. In my opinion, my personal opinion, teaching is some of the most difficult work on the face of the earth. Uh, and I can say that because I actually had a whole year of teaching experience. That's all I could handle it was one year. It was actually two part-time assignments over two different years, but to add them together, it was one year. It was really hard. I taught biology and physics and chemistry, and it was a hard subject. Uh, and you know what I found out? A lot of the students didn't really want to learn that stuff. And some of the students I had weren't very nice to me. Um, they, well, I won't tell you what they would do to me. Uh, but I would, sometimes I'd, find, I'd give them lots of restroom passes so they could go spend time in the restroom because it was easier for me. But it was hard. Some of them, the students were really smart, and I could hardly keep up with them. I'm supposed to be teaching them physics, not them teaching me physics. Teaching is hard work. Which is, you know, I don't need to elaborate on that, I suppose, because I think you understand what it's like to work with people. Sometimes when you work with people, you have to work with difficult people. And, and as you go through life, you're going to find that there are people who are difficult to work with, people who sort of rub you the wrong way. If you've ever, ever heard that expression, Maybe it's a, a work colleague, or maybe it's a relative, a fellow student, somebody who's rude or constantly puts you down, or somebody who talks too much. I mean, Pastor Rick Warren, he has a, a, a term he uses to describe these kinds of people. He calls them EGRs, and it stands for extra grace required, because that's what it takes to be around these people. And I know you're thinking about this person right now in your life, aren't you? It, and if you're not thinking of anybody, I hate to tell you, it's probably you. No. <laughs> you see, we, we know that there are people in life who are just hard to get along with. And so we need staying power. We need strength to fulfill the assignment. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the ability to stick with it. 
when the going gets tough. It could be your work assignment. It could be your mission or your ministry. It could even be in your family. We need, as Christians, staying power. We've got to be in the midst of people who are sometimes difficult to be with so that we can continually and regularly point to the good news of Jesus, who is the hope of the world. We need staying power. And the Holy Spirit is the only way you can get it. You cannot get it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit, you can actually persevere and successfully live on mission with Christ no matter how long or how difficult the assignment is. And that's where the fruit comes. You know, fruit doesn't usually come from those short interactions. Fruit usually comes from the long-term commitments, the long-term uh, assignments where we can make the greatest impact in the kingdom of God. So God, first of all, provides staying power. And secondly, in this passage, we see that God provides miraculous power. In Acts 19, this is kind of funny, actually, verses 11, 12, and 12, not too funny, though. Uh, this not this part, it's the next part. God did an extraordinary, extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. You did actually read that correctly. That's, that is actually what the Bible says. The handkerchiefs and the aprons of Paul brought healing to people. Now, the Holy Spirit was so powerfully present that there, was, there, there may have been more to it than just that, but this is what the Scripture tells us. It tells us that God works in miraculous, extraordinary ways to touch people. It means that God cares so much about people, He is willing to use both natural and unnatural ways. The point is that the Holy Spirit was moving in Ephesus so powerfully that, that there was a there was a spiritual battle. There was a reality happening. And that's why we see in this passage counterfeit spirituality. There were those who were already on the opposite side of the coin. They were spiritual, all right, but not with the Holy Spirit. And so there was, in the midst, spiritual confrontation. There were those who dabbled in spirituality, usually to make some kind of profit. You know, they, they were making a profit off of this. And some of the people were trying to cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul. And then, this is where it's funny, actually, in one opportune moment, the evil spirit actually answers them. Jesus, I know, and, and we know about Paul, but who are you? What a day that guy had. Wow. Not only was it embarrassing for this poor fella, but he got a beanie on top of it. The Bible says this. Then the man who had the evil spear jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's better than a movie. You just read the Bible. <laughs> the evil spirit recognized such self-serving exploitation and rebelled against it. You see, God's Holy Spirit doesn't put up with nonsense. God's Holy Spirit helps you overcome and works in miraculous ways. Only a person, only a person, this is the point of all this that happens in Acts chapter 19. Only a person in whom Jesus lives as the Holy Spirit has the power to use his name in prayer, in healing, and in ministry, and in life. Do you believe that God can and wants to use your life in extraordinary ways. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that God still works in extraordinary ways? There's a story that Pastor Tony Evans tells uh, when he was, he was preaching in Columbia, South Carolina at an event held at the University of South Carolina. It was in the football stadium where you fit lots and lots of people. Thousands of, of people had gathered for a special evening session, but the weather report was horrible. They were expecting some of the worst thunderstorms uh, that they had ever had in that area. And in fact, the thunderstorm was supposed to arrive exactly at 7 o'clock p.m., which was exactly the time the evening session was about to begin. And so Pastor Evans, he, he, he pulls the group together and he says, we need to pray about this. And so a group of pastors and a group of Christian leaders, they, they all got together. And as the, as the, 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 the clouds are, you can tell when it's got ready to storm. They're getting dark and, and they have that ominous look. And so this group is, is praying together. And Pastor Evans says he was disappointed in the prayer because these pastors, they kept praying these itsy bitsy prayers. Lord, please give us a, a gentle rain. Lord, please, uh, you know, please, please uh, make it mild. Please make sure no one gets hurt. Lord, please help us in this little storm, Lord. Help everybody stay safe. Make sure, Lord, there'll be enough dry places for everybody to go. And all these pastors are praying these little bitty prayers. But then there's this woman named Linda. She's not a pastor, but she starts to pray. And her prayer went something like this. Lord, she said, thousands have gathered to hear the good news about your son. It would be a shame for us to have all these unbelievers to go without hearing the gospel because you can control the weather and you can stop it. So I ask, in the name of Jesus, stop the storm. Linda prayed this prayer. Everybody, the prayer meeting ended. Everybody took their places in the stadium and they got all, all of them got their umbrellas out. And one said, to, hey, Linda, you need an umbrella? And Linda said, no, I don't need an umbrella. God's going to take care of this. And they watched thousands of people. It's, it's historical. It's, it's recorded. Thousands of people watched the, the, the thunderstorm come over the stadium and divide. And, and it hit on both sides of the stadium, completely around the stadium, in the parking lot in the stadium. But everybody who sat in the stadium, guess what? Didn't get a single drop. They stayed dry the entire event. Now, can God do that? Amen, God can do that. Does God want to do that? God wants to do the, the extraordinary in your life to use you, to, to touch and change the world, to show the world that Jesus is the hope of the world. What do you do when the storm starts to come and the pressure's on? Do you believe that God can change things? Do you pray? Do you believe that God cares enough to make a difference? I hope you can. And I hope you know that God wants to work in your life in such a way. There's been so many stories that I could share just personally how the Holy Spirit has come and made a difference unnaturally, sometimes naturally. But God has made a difference because that's who he is. You have to trust him. You have to believe in the impossible and know that God cares, and then act in faith because of your belief. You see, the point is you were never meant to live the Christian life on your own. You are meant to be with the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit wants to help you. He's here now. He wants to be your battle partner. He wants to give you staying power. No matter what you have to stay in, he wants to help you. And whatever challenge you're facing, he wants to make a difference. He wants to act on your behalf, maybe even in supernatural ways. He's the best friend you could ever have. And so if you don't know him, I want to introduce you to the power of the Holy Spirit today. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you. I want to introduce you to Jesus' gift through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of God here and now, even today. Let me encourage you. Begin a relationship with him, and your life will never be the same. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you care about us. We are so thankful that you are at work in this place. You are at work in our lives. You are touching and changing people. You are doing natural and unnatural things. You are, you are present, and you are strong, and we are thankful. Lord, help us to depend on you, not in our own strength. Help us to go to you, not to our own resources. Help us to know you and to live in your presence, we ask. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.